please have Genesis 22 uh, open in front of you just as we begin and then look at some other passages along the way. But we're looking this morning at when trials come. And as we said, life is hard. Life is full of trouble. And certainly for many of you, at this moment, there have been some major trials and challenges. And the question is, how are we to see those things if we are believers? How do we keep a right perspective when things seem to hedge us in and we can feel overwhelmed at times? Do we believe that God's grace really is sufficient for us in the valley, no matter what we face? Now, I think it would be fair to say that I'm a bit of a pessimist at heart, and I don't find it difficult to see the worst-case scenario. And uh, certainly I'm very good at putting those things together, and often do. And I don't know what you would consider to be the worst situation that you could face. Maybe it would be some financial crisis, maybe the breakdown of a relationship, maybe some serious health issue or some loss. But these things, to a greater or lesser extent, in all ways touch our lives in one way or another. And as it rightly says in Job 5, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. And even with the ongoing pandemic and stresses and strains that brings, challenges have come from all manner of directions and often that we just didn't expect or see. But all of these things show us and impress upon us that trying to create a world and an existence for ourselves where there's no risk or no danger or no trouble, where all is sort of controlled and perfect, is only really to set ourselves up for more sorrow and disappointment. Even the very best experiences in this life is tainted, they're tainted. Because life is full of trouble. And one of the main reasons is because we live in a broken world. Sin is real. And sin touches all things. And the brokenness that comes from rebellion against God and the way sin ruins it is evident. We see it. And the Lord Jesus saw it when he was on the earth. He saw the ruin and the sorrow of sin and it grieved his heart. Many times we see the Lord Jesus shedding tears. It's interesting, by the way, as an aside, that you'll never find it's recorded in the Gospels that the Lord Jesus laughed. Now, I'm sure there were times, of course, when there was enjoyment and joy and that wonder, but it's never recorded. But we are shown that he wept many tears over the state of this world and the people in it. And Jesus came to deliver us from this. He came to deliver us from sin and from the consequences of sin and death and punishment to give us that true life in him and that certain hope beyond this broken world. To give us an eternal existence without sin in the great glory that is to come. And he did this by living that perfect life, by dying on the cross to deal with the sin of all who would ever believe and trust in him. And then rising again in mighty triumph over death. He is the mighty victor and he saves his people. Saves his people to the uttermost. But he also is clear that in this life we're still going to face trouble. And if we're believers this morning, we need to understand how we face that. Now, if you're not a believer and you're here this morning, then you not only face the troubles of this life, but you face them without any hope. You face them without Christ. 
And then you face an eternity beyond that of sorrow and horror and punishment. And so we will plead with you, I will plead with you, that you run to Christ and that you be saved. And to know that even though this life is difficult, you will have one who is with you, who will lead you and guide you and bring you through. To show and to show you that that is the most important thing that you need to get right with God. But what about those of us who do know the Lord? What are we to do? Well, I was thinking over severe trials in the Bible and what we can learn from them. And when I was thinking about that, obviously there's so many examples in the Bible of those who face deep valleys. You think of Job. You know, Job lost his family, he lost everything. He, he suffered terrible personal pain and suffering. He was surrounded with people who turned on him, who didn't understand him, didn't understand what he was going through, who urged him to have nothing to do with God and to turn away. But the Lord brought him through. And he was enabled to endure, even though it was so hard. But it's one of the trials that Abraham endured, perhaps one of the most severe trials ever faced that I want us to begin with this morning. And that is to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. If you look at verse 1 of that passage we read together in Genesis 22. It says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And so God brings this severe trial to Abraham. Now what was it? Verse 2. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Can you imagine? Do you see what is at stake in what God asks here? He asks for the sacrificial offering of Abraham's only son, the son who he loved. And the whole of Genesis 22, of course, we can see, we have the blessing of, of looking back and we're this side of Calvary. And we know that the Lord always planned to prevent Abraham from taking Isaac's life. God knew that he would stay the patriarch's knife and reinforce and give us this marvelous picture and principle of substitutionary sacrifice that one would be provided to stand in the place which reveals God's mercy and grace. But Abraham didn't know that. And this trial comes, and to his natural understanding, it doesn't make any sense. Why would God ask for a sacrifice like this? Why would he demand the sacrifice of the son of promise? Why would he ask for the son of the covenant, a miracle himself provided by the Lord? Why would God make him the promise that he would be the father of nations, descendants as the sand on the shore, the stars of heaven, and then demand the sacrifice of his only child? All hope of promise would die and Abraham would seem to be striking a blow at God's word and covenant faithfulness and promises and cutting off the line of Messiah. And not only that, but the trial was so severe because Abraham was to be the one who did it. Again, imagine. Not only did he have to offer his son for the sacrifice, but he himself would have to do it. And such a demand seemed to go against what he knew of God and the character of God and the promises of God. And we would have understood if Abraham had said, Lord, this is too much. Can you, can you explain this, please? This, this makes no sense. I can't do this. 
The trial on the surface seemed to make no sense, and in many ways it was a unique trial. Abraham's test was theologically and historically extraordinary because he was called to sacrifice the heir on whom the blessing to the world itself depended. No other son occupied such a vital role in redemptive history, apart from, of course, the exception of the Lord Jesus himself. And so believers know that this situation was unique in God's plan of redemption. As one of the reformers says, the Lord indeed is so indulgent to our infirmity that he does not severely and sharply try our faith as Abraham, but he intended in the father of all the faithful to give us an example by which he might call us to a general trial of faith. So God won't test us in exactly the same way as he was testing Abraham here, yet he nevertheless brings trials into our lives to strengthen our faith and to bring us assurance. And if you are facing a test of faith today, you need to know that God really can sustain you. And you actually can trust him and he won't fail you. Look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. I just think that's amazing. And I'll tell you why I think it's amazing. Because Abraham, despite all of that, has this willing submission. There's no delay. There's no dispute. He trusts the Lord. You know, faith comes quickly when the Lord calls us to do easy things. You know, we can go right ahead and do those. It's harder to trust him when he asks us to do those difficult tasks. God won't call us to offer up our children as burnt offerings, but he will ask us to step outside our comfort zones. And we see that as the thing goes on, Abraham on the third day lifted his eyes, he sees the place... And he says to these young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go up to worship and we will come back. Again, that staggering trust. We will come back. Trust and confidence. And the agonizing scene continues, verses 6 to 7, when Isaac, fully trusting his father, asks about the worship they will bring and says, well, dad, where is the lamb? Where's where's the offering? You know, and we haven't got time this morning to draw out the full wonder of that question and the response in terms of the Lord Jesus. But Abraham's answer is this, God will provide. Abraham believed that God would overrule. He didn't necessarily know how, but he trusted the God who had brought him this far. He was certain of the Lord's character and the patriarch is open to any of the ways in which God might choose to work out his plan. We need to ask ourselves, do we trust the Lord so much that we are willing to do whatever he commands us to do? And so the altar is built, and no doubt with tears in his eyes and turmoil in his heart, Abraham would lay his son on the altar. Remarkable trust and submission from Isaac too as he gets on the altar. And it seems as though Abraham is going to have to go through with this unthinkable thing. As he takes the knife and he raises it. Again, we learn that living by faith can often mean that we grit our teeth and press on in obedience to the Lord's command, even if there are times when we feel turmoil over it. Those we love may hurt us and will want to retaliate. 
but we don't because honouring God is more important. And we have to endure that. We go the extra mile for those who may never thank us, even when naturally we're tempted just to do the bare minimum. Why? Because the Lord says that we're to do it and that we do it unto him. We commit to a faithful church and serve the body even when others step away or we don't like certain things because we know that the Lord wants us to be a people of commitment. True faith, Abraham shows us, serves God even it's the last thing that we feel like doing. And we don't need a, a major tragedy to make us feel as if we're clinging to God's promises by our fingernails. And sometimes our, our daily problems can build to the point where we hardly feel like keeping the promises that we have that we've committed to before the Lord. But faith means doing what is right, even if we don't feel like it. Because we trust God's promise to be with us and to bless his people. And the Lord, in this occurrence, provides wonderfully, and God affirms Abraham, and those who fear God will obey him. And trials reveal so much in this whole area of where we really are with the Lord. And James, too, he mentions this trial of Abraham and Isaac, and he uses it to make the point that faith is not just verbal profession. It's not just a, a, an intellectual, a thinking agreement. But trust in God always moves us to serve him and to obey him and to do good works in service to him. It's also interesting in Hebrews 11 that we have the, the commentary on this, this trial as well in verses 17 to 19 where it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Quite simply, Abraham trusted God and the power of God. He trusted that even if he did have to kill Isaac, God could raise that boy from the dead. He had confidence in the power of God and that God would always keep his promises and was so true to his word that if he made that promise, he would even raise the dead to keep it. Friends, for those of us who know the Lord... And are in Christ, it teaches us that even though the severe trials may come to us, if we trust the Lord, He is able to sustain and bring us through. And it won't be easy, and there'll be pain, but we'll be brought through because God is on the throne, and He will keep His promise, and He will fulfill His word, and He will accomplish His purposes, and He will hold His people fast. And living by faith in this way, it sees us fulfill our position as children of Abraham. As the father of the faithful, he is that great example of true faith. And we need to understand that trials will come. God will allow them to come to us. But what sustains us in the midst of them is knowing him. And knowing that he's with us. Knowing that we can trust him knowing that he's working out all things according to his perfect purposes, his glory, and the good of his people. You know, we, we all want life to be comfortable, don't we? And easy and settled. But it won't be like that. 
And there are times when we're blessed with a, a peaceful season and we think, oh, you know, if it could only be like this all the time. You know, the, the idea of, you know, just sitting on the beach, the, la- the waves lapping up and we're just relaxed. Oh, if it only could be like that all the time. But Psalm 30, now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. But the Lord Jesus said, trouble will come. And we need to watch and pray and ask for that strength to endure. One of the Puritans, Thomas Manton, said, God had one son without sin, but no son without a cross. And so trials will come. But what are some of the things then, when those trials do come, as we look to the Lord, as we seek to be faithful as Abraham, what are some of the things that these trials are meant to accomplish in us? I'm just going to give you a a number of things this morning. And so we can know that when trials come, they test the strength of our faith. They test the strength of our faith. 2 Chronicles 32 verse 31 says this, However, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. Now, who's that speaking of? Well, it's King Hezekiah. And in this situation, Hezekiah is given a sense that God had withdrawn from him so that his heart would be revealed. Now, God knew what was in his heart. God knows all things. He he knew what was in his heart. So the purpose of this particular trial wasn't for God to find out. But it was so Hezekiah could see where he was. It's the same for us. So, So we can see where we are. He helps us in examining ourselves to consider how strong or weak our faith is. And so if we're going through some trial at the moment, we can see that if we're unhappy that the Lord has brought this to us, if we're fretting and worrying and wrapped with anxiety, we can see that we need to be strengthened, that we need that help. And I often find myself there. But if we're resting in the Lord and if we're placing these things into his care, if we let him bear the burden of it and we are able to rejoice in the storm and look to the Lord and wait upon the Lord to bring us through, then we can be thankful for the clear evidence of the Lord's strengthening. And we shouldn't despise this. And really, we should want to know where we are so that we can run back to the one who can strengthen us. Because when we're in that place of dependence, then we're in a place where we can be more useful to the Lord. You know, Job went through this. Job 42, he confesses his sin and in effect he says, Lord, I have never really seen you like this before. He says, I I realize that some of the things that I thought about you and said about you and felt about you were sinful. Lord, my faith in its weakness has been revealed. I was in that place where the Lord could build him up and strengthen him again. And one of the purposes of showing us our hearts, the true condition of our faith, is to lead us back to the source of our strength, our great God and Savior. And from time to time, he allows us to sense this so that we will come trembling back to the word and in prayer and to the cross and to lay hold on God in a fresh way and to love our saviour and the salvation that he has given more than ever. They test the strength of our faith. Also, when trials come, they humble us. They often come to teach us again 
that we shouldn't be trusting ourselves and trusting our own strength. They come to show us that we need to depend upon the God of all grace, something we are so quick to forget. Think of Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. He speaks and he says, Lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, what's the context of him saying that? Well, he's speaking in relation to the trial of his thorn in the flesh. And he sees one of the purposes for this trial as humbling him. So that he doesn't think more highly of himself than he should because of the incredible spiritual blessings that he had known. You know, remember, Paul had seen Jesus three times after his resurrection, this glorious revelation. Remember, Paul had been caught up into the third heaven. His ministry had been endured with with such power of the Spirit, and he'd seen so many saved and churches established, mighty works and declarations. He could so easily have been exalted in his own mind. And so he understood the thorn in the flesh, whatever it may have been, physical or spiritual. No doubt you have your views on that. But this trial was to humble him and to remind him of his total dependence upon the Lord. There are times when God allows trials to come to us, maybe especially when we've been blessed in places of spiritual service, to keep us humble so that our confidence is not in self but in him. Total dependence. So when trials come, they humble us. And also when trials come, they wean us, they bring us away from the things of the world. You know, friends, as we go on with the Lord and go on in life, we should see ever more that things should have less and less significance to us. Maybe there was a time in your life when accumulating things and goods was something that you lived for, was desirable. But as you've gone on with the Lord, you've been brought to see through that. Because the getting of things cannot deal with the real issues of life. Buying things and having things doesn't solve the deep problems and the anxieties and hurts. And when trials come into our lives and you reach out maybe for those worldly things, you see that actually they make no difference and they mean nothing in the light of the big issues. And that's why when the trial comes, it weans you off those things and brings you back to see where the true solution is, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11 speaks of Moses. Moses raised in Pharaoh's house, a prince in Egypt. For 40 years he'd been brought up and educated in the place of amazing worldly privilege. He didn't want for anything materially. He was at the peak of Egyptian society, the most significant and affluent society in the world at that time. And all the worldly education, all the money, all the prestige, all the success, all the comfort was in his hands. But then he was brought to consider the reproach of Christ. The Lord's anointed greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. He looked to a greater spiritual reward. Moses was brought away from the things of the world and would be set on a path that would see him brought close to the Lord and serving the Lord. And sometimes the purpose of our trial is to do that, to bring us away from that fascination and that love for this world and the things of the world. Also, when trials come, they increase our longing for heaven. 
Trials show us not only the true state of the world, where our hope and treasure really is in Christ and being with him. And when he is in view, we see that this world is passing and that there is this great glory to come. When there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more sorrow and no more sin. And trials not only show us the, the bankruptcy of human resources and wean us away from the world, but they also settle us on that heavenly hope. Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ... If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so Paul says that as we endure suffering and trial, it makes us more eager for the glory to come. And that gives us that perspective which sees all things heading to this stunning climax in Jesus Christ. Trials give us a greater affection and anticipation for what is eternal, to long to be with Christ, to set our affections on things above. That perspective is so important. 2 Corinthians 4, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And you say, well, how did Paul get that type of attitude? Verses 8 to 12 of that passage, 2 Corinthians 4, were hard-pressed on every side, but were not crushed, were perplexed. Death is working in us. He was facing so much trouble, so many trials, that it's the prospect of glory that keeps him going. Because this is not the end. And it won't always be like this. Trials increase that longing for heaven. And then the last couple of things, when trials come, they also reveal what we really love. You know, think of Abraham and Isaac again. Was anything more precious to Abraham than that boy? But there was the test to see where Abraham's true love and loyalty were. And God wanted, in the case of Abraham, to find out, and let Abraham find out, and all of us find out who are able to come and to read these things in the Word of God, who Abraham loved most. And trials will show whether you really love the Lord and love his people and love his cause. They'll show where your priorities are. And if we love him above all, we will long for our trials to show that that we might give him glory even in our darkest days. And if we love self more than God, we'll be angry with God as to why he would allow these things to happen to us and we'll be bitter and we'll be full of anxiety. Matthew Henry said, the best evidence of our fearing God and loving God is our being willing to serve and honor him with that which is dearest to us. Jesus said in Luke 14, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we've said it many times before, Jesus isn't saying that you shouldn't love your family, that you shouldn't care for them and you shouldn't be there for them, but he's saying if you don't love him to the degree that you willingly put him above everything else, you're not worthy to be his disciple. 
It's to do the will of God first and foremost, no matter what appeals others who clamor for your affections make upon you because you love him above all else. And when trials come, they reveal what you really love. And then when trials come, they teach us to value God's blessing. Natural reason says that we should value the world and get what we can from the world. And our feelings, actually, at times, they tell us, you're missing out. You should run after pleasure in the world, pleasure at any cost. But faith tells us to value the Lord above all, to value him for who he is and his word and his favor and his blessing, to obey the Lord and to obey his word and to know that true blessing. And when we're enabled to be faithful in our trials, we will know the blessing of obedience. When we endure trials and know that blessing, it teaches us to value the nearness and the blessedness of resting on the Lord and obedience at all costs brings the blessing of God. The greatest example is the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 5. When he came and took to himself human flesh in his earthly ministry, we're told that he offered up prayer and supplication with strong crying and tears to him that was able to save him from death. Speaking, of course, of that time in Gethsemane before the cross, and the Lord was sweating those great drops of blood and weeping and crying. And it says in Hebrews 5, verses 7 to 9, he was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And in this sense, we see that the Savior, through suffering, learned that obedience. And as he obeyed, God exalted him. And as we follow the master's steps, as we are faithful and obedient through the trials that come to us, the Lord will be with us and that to bless. And we will learn that closeness to him, that preciousness of fellowship with him, even in the valley, and the fact that the blessings that he brings, that he bestows, that's the true treasure. That's where the real value is. And when trials come, they teach us to value the blessing of God and also they change us so that we're in a better place to help others in their suffering and to prepare us for greater usefulness. Friends, your trials are not without purpose. When you go through the heat of some trial, that experience should make us better to be able to come alongside others in their trials and in their suffering. Do you remember Luke 22, Jesus explains... One of the purposes of Peter's impending trial, he says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And a lot of people stop there. They oh, ask, wonderful, it is wonderful. But the Lord doesn't stop there. He says this, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. The Lord allows us to go through trials that we might be better placed to help our brethren, to love them, to come alongside them, and like the Savior, to show that compassion and concern that they need. Not in arrogance, saying, oh, well, you know, we've gone through similar things, but in broken humility and saying, 
I went through a deep trial. But the Lord kept me. And he can keep you too. And throughout our trials, they are working to strengthen and deepen and shape us so that we might be more useful in the service of the Savior. Again, one of the Puritans, while all things are quiet and comfortable, we live by sense rather than faith. But the worth of a soldier is never known in times of peace. In the fierce heat of the battle, your spiritual muscles are exercised, your ability with the armor is sharpened, your trust in the captain of salvation is strengthened, and it means that you are more equipped and experienced and useful. You are an ongoing testimony to the sustaining power of a great God, and you're in the place where he can accomplish more through you for his glory. He is refining you. And so, friends, these are just a number of various lessons that we can learn in our trials, but trials will come. But we can be sure that God has his purposes, even when we cannot always see what they are in the midst of them. But that's when we need to trust him, to believe like Abraham in the character and plan of God, knowing that he is on the throne, that he will keep his promise, that he will fulfill his word, that he will accomplish his purposes, and he will hold you fast. That he is at work to shape and lead and guide and make you more like his son, fitting you for the glory that is to come. And whatever trial you might be going through at this moment, whether it's known or whether it's not known generally, if you are a believer, you can know that Jesus is with you. And he won't leave you. Even when we feel like we're overwhelmed, his grip upon us is never in question. And so simply trust him. Trust him. Keep looking to him. And know that your Saviour will never forsake you, unveiling his merciful face, his presence and promise almighty, redeeming his loved ones by grace, in shades of the valley's dark terror, where hell in its horror holds sway, your Jesus, my Jesus, will reach out in power and save you and save me by his only way. May God help us and may he sustain us. Amen.